Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Whoo! Friday, thank God, because really a day filled with so much news. We have a lot to talk about today, and I'm glad that you're here driving it home with me, Patty Vasquez. And uh, we've just, uh, look, I woke up this morning, and uh, I I know I shouldn't start my day by scrolling through social media, but there I was. uh, Before I got my son ready for school, I I was just scrolling, and of course learned this morning that uh, Alexei Navalny Navalny, uh, had died in prison, and uh, what a weird you know, um, I think Tucker Carlson was quoted as saying that great leaders uh, have to kill people along the way, essentially. So uh, apparently uh, Putin decided to be the cat that brought uh, Tucker a president, present while he was uh, visiting Russia. I don't know if Tucker is still there, but uh, what a horrible story. And uh, the fact that uh, Alexei Navalny uh, has died after being imprisoned for criticizing the government for being so uh, outspoken um, – you know his uh, his work. Uh, he was nearly uh, killed in 2020 through poison, and uh, they they wanted him to shut up. And this is the kind of hell that Republicans seem to have no problem with in refusing to or blocking a- aid to Ukraine and 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 talking about like it's their problem. You know, it used to be part of Russia anyway. Uh, And so even if that were their, you know, their stance on that, it's it's a complete disregard, not just for the way the way Putin operates and has operated for years. Um, You know, we knew and I don't know what the diplomacy policies were under Obama, but in, in 2012, 2013, 2014, what was going on with Georgia, we knew that there was a problem. Uh, But this is a. I, I know that people right now are being arrested and attacked in Russia for protesting the death of Alexei Navalny. And um, as a political prisoner, you know, they, the, his family, his lawyer, they said they had uh, even spoken to him in the last uh, 48 hours that there hadn't been any hint that something was wrong. So uh, but it should be it's tragic and it should be a reminder that this is the kind of thing that Donald Trump talks about in his rallies is rounding up his critics. He has said that he has said that the people on MSNBC should be arrested for trade for being traitors. So uh, that was uh, the news that I saw this morning when I woke up. And then uh, there was local news, too, by the way. Uh, I was uh, I'm covering some of the issues related to uh, uh, services for asylum seekers and migrants. And I want to remind folks once again, the people who are in our city are in the United States legally because I was looking through a lot of articles and trying to find out where we are compared to Denver and New York. New York, by the way, is in the billions. They're estimating that in New York, they will spend over $12 billion. And there was a pledge by Governor Pritzker and President of Cook County, Tony Preckwinkle, to uh, to, to uh, commit money. I believe it's $100 million from Cook County. Um I want to say I'm trying to think of the numbers, but it was basically the, the they had all these teams working at the city level, the county level, the state level, saying, "Okay, this is what we project uh, the costs will be." And and even with that, I wonder in their you know projection models, are they taking into account 
not just the warm weather coming because, you know, thankfully, I guess the buses have uh, the volume of buses has decreased. We have uh, the fewest number of of migrants and asylum seekers uh, living in shelters, the lowest it's been since this crisis began. And uh, at the height of January, it was about 15,000. Now we have under 13,000 people still in shelters. And we and many of them, though, have this new deadline looming over them that the uh, the city that the city has um, these eviction notices for how long uh, folks can stay in shelters. And then I don't know. There are avenues to apply for extensions. At any rate, not only I wonder, I, you know, I'm not and it's not my that's above my pay grade. But I wonder what. Uh, you know what account if they're taking into account the fact that we are going to be the host city for the Democratic National Convention, and whether or not you know they're because New York City has gotten a hundred thousand people, we have about approximately thirty five thousand, and by the way, Denver has been getting uh, busloads of folks too, and they are scrambling. They are already cutting services, even though they are one of the they have fewer people that are being sent there, but per capita. You know, for their city population, if you look at it that way, they are getting uh, a larger number of of migrants and asylum seekers. They are already cutting their programs at their recreation centers. All their parks and recreation services are being cut uh, for their hours and staffing, and they're also cutting their DMV services. I'm not, I guess Denver runs their uh, their Secretary of State uh, their driver's license facilities a little differently. They're not going to plant uh, flowers. I mean, the the sort of things that I guess they they immediately said we have. Got Got to start making cuts now because with an election season and with what's going on in D.C. and the Republicans refusing to do anything about the border, there does not look like there will be any more money coming, or at least that that's what it looks like. Um, there won't be uh, federal support in that regard. So if Denver is getting bigger volumes of uh, of, of busloads coming and, and dropping people off, and New York has gotten over a hundred thousand, and we're at thirty five thousand. Should I not, maybe I shouldn't even say it, Paul, because if I say it, you know, maybe Governor, I mean, Governor Abbott's not listening to me and they already have this plan, right? They already have this going. But would you be surprised if they said, uh, no, you're like, wait, you're going to talk to me? I was just like, I, I just kind of, I realized I come to a point where I've got to ask a question. I mean, don't you think Governor Abbott's just going to put 100,000 migrants on buses? Because, you know, this is something, look, the volume, it's 3 million asylum seekers are in the court system just for 2023. So, I mean, at some point, we are getting a much smaller number of people than they are experiencing in Texas. But would you be surprised if we got 100,000, 150,000 people this year? I can't, let me see. I have to, oh, wait, let me see. What button do I need to push? Is it you or me? Let's see. I can't get you. I can't. Let me see all the buttons. Where are my lights? No, that seems Does right. That work any better? Yes. Okay. Hi. No, it was my fault. See how excited I got? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> don't you think that he is likely to put a hundred thousand people on boat on buses? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he could do that. I, I'd have to do the math in my head, but that's like what ten thousand people a, a month uh, essentially. That's, yeah. Yeah. I'd, even more. Maybe. They, I mean, rough estimate, maybe, yes. So they have spent, Texas has spent $124 million on sending migrants and asylum seekers to Chicago, which comes out to, because I like using a calculator, didn't do it in my head, uh, of the 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 number of uh, all the asylum seekers they've sent, the total, it's a $1,240 one way. You could, they, I mean, they may as well have flown them first class at that point. Right. Yeah. This is This is where like city and government, you know, contracts make me crazy. I feel like if anyone truly cared about this, it would have been solved by now. Right? 
That's I, I think that people care. It's got to be partly the layers of bureaucracy on top of it, too. That and I think there's one particular party that doesn't really. Oh, yeah. That care one doesn't care. Yeah, that, that, that one. That party does not care. Yeah, I'm 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 concerned about the summer. So so I don't know if you re- were following this, but uh, so Preckwinkle. President Board of uh, Cook County, President of Cook County, Preckwinkle, and Governor Pritzker committed all this money, and, and they were like, and by the way, that's about $70 million short of what we project all these teams have uh, said is going to possibly happen this year. And so back and forth uh, between City Hall and the media and the state of Illinois, uh, they said, yeah, no, uh, like Channel 11 reported that Johnson's folks committed, that Johnson, Mayor Johnson committed to asking City Hall for $70 million. Today, Crane's business is reporting the mayor's office has said, oh, we never promised that. So oh, wow. I, oh, my God. I don't, I don't know what's happening. It's very strange. They budgeted $150 million for this year. And there's also a tremendous amount of money that we have not spent in our COVID funding that we received. Have you seen that, too? No, I haven't seen that. Yeah, there's a lot. I don't know what's happening. This is just cr- maybe Maybe they're using it for an emergency fund. I don't know. So anyway, this is a th- anyway. So what did you? How did you feel when you saw the the uh, decision by Judge and Gorin and three hundred fifty four million dollars in fines for Trump? I, is he even worth that much? I don't even know anymore. Well, and that's the thing is that they were talking about how he'd have to liquidate a lot of stuff, like Bill. I mean, it is, but but they're gonna have to get like an actual appraisal of this this land, sure. this, uh, all this property. And I think he has like even though he can appeal, they still require him. To front a lot of, the, I don't even know if it's the whole thing or a certain amount of money for them to hold, regardless, until he goes through the appeals process. Yeah, and, and also the three years not being able to do right. business in New York, it feels like a slap on the wrist. That does, sure. I, it, and if you think about the the ripple effect of, look, they were talking earlier about the uh, Cook County appraisers, right? That these big companies get these breaks. They give money to the uh, the boards, right? The I, I don't remember what he called them. And I, I should know this because I know about Fritz Kagey's office and the elected... The assessor, the tax assessor? The, I guess so, but the board of deciders. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, they shouldn't receive money from people who are going to ask for tax breaks. And then they give these massive tax breaks to corporations and billionaires and what that does, it, it, it's not just that we have to pay for it. It also is a barrier to enter for entry for other business developers, which is what I, you know, Trump has done in New York. Forgetting he gets he not. It's not just that he overpraised. And I, I really I look at these folks on social media who are like, uh, they wouldn't have done this to anybody else. You know why? Because we don't go. I'm going to start yelling, Paul. You started laughing because I was starting to yell. Sorry. I, were you looking for a Cook County Board of Review? Yes, Cook County Board of Review. I appreciate it. Thank you. This, they don't want to call themselves the deciders? The, the decider. That just sounds like a, <laughs> uh, someone got lazy at like the Star Wars writing meeting. Like, yeah, the Board of Deciders. <laughs> the Board know. of Deciders. <laughs> Doesn't that, do you remember that I believe this was something that George Bush used to say, that he was the decider? I could be wrong. Someone can call and tell oh, me. Having me. I'm having like PTSD from the Bush. Administration. Please <laughs> right? don't do this to me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Nuclear. What, how do you pronounce it? Nuclear. Nuke- nu- nuclear. Nuclear. There's all kinds of stuff. Anyway. Got to put food on our families. Yeah. <laughs> See, I have, I have, a, a, you can fool me once, but you can't fool me again. You fool me twice. Here in uh, Tennessee. <laughs> I'm getting texts from my friend Carmen. She's like, it's board of review. It's board of review. Thank you, Carmen. 
but it is a uh, uh, at any rate it, it it's a barrier to the rest. I mean, this is where it keeps the, the money again. That trickle down thing, like Tom, I love Tom Hartman said that it trickles down because we fl- they flooded they they it's not even that we flooded it up because that would mean that like we did something. They suctioned it up. That sounds terrible too. But like they took a shop back. It took all of our money. Just that's why it's trickling. Yeah, <laughs> but it's the trickle down thing. So this water still has to be involved. Okay. So I think there was a hole in the feet. Like we had to hope for holes in that tube that suctioned all of our money so that we could be trickled on. Okay. And we're still poking holes in that thing. My metaphors are terrible today. Happy yeah. Friday, everybody. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I know, Patty's making a jabbing motion. Let's uh, take a break here so I can reset and have a, a conversation. Let's open up the phone lines because it is uh, First Timer Friday, and I'm sure there's so much in the news that you want to talk about. I, was it one of the things I just mentioned? Is there something else on your mind? 773-763-9278. That's a number to call and join our conversation. And uh, we will be right back after this on WCPT 820, Heartland Signal. I'll tell you about the sponsors that give you a gift card if you call in for the first time because it's some good stuff. Hey there, it's your guy, Warren Price, from European and U.S. Collision Repair, a division of Technograph Body Shops. We specialize in automobile and truck repair as well as normal automobile maintenance. With our highly skilled technicians and environmentally friendly materials, we strive for quality. Call 773-248-1200. That's 773-248-1200 or europeanus.com. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. I love Fridays. I'm in a, I'm in a good mood. I'm going to go uh, after this. I'm going to watch some of the uh, SAG after nominated films. Uh, my friend Heather and I are going to hang out and uh, maybe have some popcorn and stuff. And uh, I'm going to, I think tonight can't remember what we're watching. I think maybe it's Ruskin. You guys, American Fiction, really good movie. Trem- enjoyed it tremendously. Highly recommend. So check that one out. Uh, we have been talking about some of the uh, topics that are in the news today. Hey, you should be following our friends from, uh, hold on, let me find the, I really love this post earlier from our friends um, from Union Warrior Proud. And uh, they've Sean's got a great video up right now because all, all, you know, all the MAGAs are like, you know, they wouldn't do this to anybody else. And what Sean says in his video about electeds don't care. And, and, you know, when we uh, went out for, uh, for drinks after the show, when, uh, our friends were here from union proud warrior, union warrior proud, I'm going to get that one wrong. Jerry, come back in and yell at me about which one it is. Uh, but Sean was, they were all talking about how, um, it doesn't matter what party, if we can all unite under the idea that making America great again, if that's your thing, then your electeds need to be talking about how we do that through strengthening our labor force, giving more rights to workers, uh, uplifting middle class families. You know, your elected should be talking about your wages, your ability to, to bargain and unite and have a pension and be able to retire before you're 65. Because Nikki Haley, they want to raise it. Nikki Haley said, but you know, people should work till they're 70. Because people are living longer. Well, maybe we, you know, living longer means not dropping dead on the job and looking forward to being still being able to enjoy yourself. Because uh, I'm not saying that after 60 or 70 you can't enjoy yourself, but why not take advantage of the opportunity and invest in yourselves? Our wages are not going up. Someone got mad about how they're talking about wages in uh, in California, what they're fighting for. Do we have to keep having this conversation about how how much money has been consolidated by the uber wealthy, by what Tom Hartman calls the morbidly wealthy? 
the top 10% owns what, like 80% of the wealth, you guys, and we're fighting over the last 20%. 90% of us fighting over 20%. Make that make sense. Don't make me yell again. Oh, boy. Everyone wants to talk today. What's, what's happening? All right, let's talk. To, Brian wants to talk about feminism. Brian, I love talking about fez- feminism. What's on your mind, Brian? Good afternoon. Hope you're doing well. Thank you. And I was wondering, did you get any snow? We did not get any snow. I saw that there was snow in Springfield, of all places. You have to follow the writing of uh, Hannah Meisel. She's a, a, she writes a lot of uh, city politics here in Chicago, and she posted pictures of Springfield where she said they don't believe in uh, snow removal. Did you get snow where you are, Brian? Uh, barely a quarter of an inch, but we did get a nice dusting, and mm. it uh, kind of brought back uh, the Christmas spirit because we didn't get uh, right. a whole lot of snow. And that was like and 60. Mm-hmm. And I was going to ask, uh, how is uh, 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 Lady B doing these she, days? She uh, messaged me. Let me read you her last, the last message I received from her. She wanted me to let people know that she was doing very well uh, post-surgery. She had uh, reconstructive surgery uh, for on her, you know, because she had a unilateral mastectomy and uh, had uh, had that re- reconstructed uh, on that side. Uh, so here's the last one she read, sent to me. Uh, update with my doctor today. My oncologist said everything looks good. She is continuing to take her meds and she has to see her doctor every three months, but she's healing great and every day I'm feeling better and better. So please tell everyone that I said hi and I'm getting better. So that's uh, our last message from Lady B in the last week or so. Do you think she'll ever uh, be back? Of course. Uh, yes. Oh, that'd, that'd be wonderful. And, uh, yeah. you know, my uh, uh, indeed, my best wishes to her. She's so nice. And uh, in regards to feminism, uh, uh, I just uh, wanted to recommend a book, uh, uh, by Rosemary Radford Ruther, Sexism and God Talk. There's a lot of excellent uh, points in that book, Sexism and God Talk, Rosemary, Rose, Rosemary Radford Ruther. And uh, I was going to say I'm pro-choice. I mentioned that to you in the past. And uh, uh, I wanted to uh, bring up... Uh, uh, you may... Uh, well, uh, Jimmy Carter, President Jimmy Carter... Uh, left the Southern Baptist Convention, which was the, in the year 2000, which is the largest uh, evangelical uh, branch, as I understood it, and uh, because uh, uh, they were uh, no longer allowing women ministers uh, there, and uh, they were teaching such things as uh, uh, women, in all instances, must submit to their husbands, which is uh, barbarism, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, and that uh, he felt that the uh, Holy Bible uh, uh, states that all people are equal under the eyes of God, and he left for a more uh, progressive uh, church. Uh, he was with that since he was a teenager, and he left uh, because of that uh, issue. And he was for the Equal Rights Amendment as I uh, uh, when he was uh, president and he was running uh, as was uh, Senator Ted Kennedy and I still support the Equal Rights Amendment uh, and we don't hear much about that any longer and uh, I wish uh, that could be brought up sometime again and uh, those were uh, the uh, fundamental comments I, I wanted to make 
Well, I am going to put one of uh, one of Rasmer- Rosemary Radford Brothers uh, books in my cart uh, on my in my shopping uh, online. Uh, I'm going to look at Visionary Women, the Medieval Mystics. She also has books uh, Sexism and God Talk, uh, Integrating. Ecofeminism, globalization, and world religion. So I love that she incorporated, as you were talking about Jimmy Carter, uh, you know, faith and uh, feminism. So I would, I'm so glad that you told. I didn't realize she just passed away two years ago. So she uh, was a, a leading in the a leader in the frontier of uh, a feminism work. So I appreciate that you letting me know about that. And then there was something else you said that I now I've lost track of because I was I didn't want to interrupt you. Nope, I don't have it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> That's okay. Oh, I know. I got it. I got it. Uh, the ERA. So I have a very good friend and an incredible former legislator, uh, public servant named Steve Anderson, who they call, he's a Republican, who they call the ERA whisperer. He has led the way to flip uh, some of the redder states to adopt ERA. And I, be, I don't remember, I think it was just one left, but he got like Utah and West Virginia and Illinois, including Illinois. And he, he is, he's somebody, I, I I feel like I should write a book about this guy because I watched him cross party lines in order to save Illinois from going over a fiscal, not single handedly, but with he convinced other Republicans to uh, work with them and uh, with Democrats uh, to solve our uh, budget impasse under Governor Rauner. So Steve Anderson, uh, I will I've had him on the show, but it's been a while. So I'll get him back on and talk about where we are with the ERA. Thank you for the reminder, Brian. Well, thank you so much for taking my call, Patty, and have a fine weekend. You as well. Take care. Thank you, Brad. All right. Bye-bye. Let's, bye-bye. let's get to, uh, let's see, Jim in Chicago. Jim, what, I don't know what's in, why this says this in my box. You have no reason to apologize, so I'm going to just cut you off right there. Hi, Jim. No, no, no I, 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 I had to apologize. Yesterday, you and Dwayne, I went off on a tangent about... Uh, <laughs> the, now I remember. The, uh, I remember now. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the crazy... Uh, Manson was running for president, but here's the way it works. I used to have card games in the basement of City Hall in 1970. This guy used to come to the card games. And then in the 80s, he became my bookie. And then now he's an internet fiend. So I made a little bet on Biden, back then the two and a half to one. So he calls me out of blue and says, oh, Manchin's running for president. Manchin's like, geez, because I want a showdown between Trump and Biden. I want the high noon yeah. showdown. I don't want anybody else involved in it. Yeah. Because I'm like, I'm absolutely positive that Biden could beat Trump. And another thing, Patty, this poor guy that died in, in uh, Russia, now here's a brave guy. Now, this is what you call a really brave man. I mean, he poisoned him. Yeah. He could have took a duck. He came right back. He fought for that democracy in Russia. And he's just a marvelous man that should be looked up to. And then think about uh, who was the, the the poor reporter who got shot in the pieces by the Saudi uh, oh, yeah. prince. Uh, and they took him out. They took him out in the suitcases. Yeah. In the meantime, in the meantime, uh, Trump's son-in-law gets unexplained two billion dollars from these psychos. Not, not even explained. And then. Uh, I'm sorry, no, Khashoggi. Jamal Khashoggi is the uh, the reporter, the journalist that was killed by the Saudi. Yeah, yeah, they chopped him up and took him out in suitcases. But the other one, real quick story is uh, I, I like I like Stoli better than uh, what's the who's the vacuant name the guy what's his name uh, Smirnoff isn't it something or Yakov Smirnoff it's a, what a country yeah, yeah. <laughs> I used to like uh, the other the other uh, the Russian stuff but you know anyway this guy, Jim hold on let's live there for a second you know he he like built a whole empire for himself in Branson Missouri he has like an entertainment I don't know if it's still there but he that's where he ended up going and uh, just opening up a, a venue. 
and being very successful. Oh, yeah. Well, God love him. God yeah. love him. You know, but I'm talking about the guy. I'm talking about the guy that testified against the Biden saying that he took five million bucks apiece. Yeah. He's got a vodka name, too. Smirnoff. Isn't oh, I didn't there know that. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, what I like stories. But the point is, he lied to the FBI. So now he's looking at 25 years. And, and the Republicans have been beating this Trump for years. They're desperate. They're just desperate to win. Look, they're going to impeach the uh, Washington attendant because he didn't bring his whisk rope for three days. So, right. so when they come back, yes. and think about think about what their their how can they hold up money uh, for Ukraine? What is the strategy in that? Uh. It doesn't make any sense. And I think it's one percent of our, our domestic. I mean, that money, as Joan explained today, that money's not going anywhere but back into our military budget anyway. Right. It's not going to go to the homeless or anything like that. It's it's going to stay in the military budget because that's the way it is. Those are the rules, you know. Yeah, and this is this is one of the things I, I try to. It's hard for me to explain to people, but we always think of things. As, there is money. The, the way it's budgeted, though, can be very frustrating. It's not like if you don't spend money on Ukraine or migrants, it's going to go to the things that you want. That's not, unfortunately, the way it works. So thank you so much, Jim. You're welcome. You're welcome, Peter. Thank you. Thanks. Because I want to get to Roosevelt. Hey, Roosevelt, what's on your mind? Eddie, thank you for taking my call. Have a nice weekend, my friend. You too. Thank you. You know what? I'm going to dedicate a song for you today. Okay. Jethro Tull, Living in the Past. And that's my... Assessment and what you said earlier about you feel that uh, should be coming together and we should be doing all these things for the middle class, right. poor people, and migrants. Merit. But I'm afraid that is my opinion, only my opinion. It's never going to happen, and I do mean never. I understand because there's a sector. I, I I think I have these thoughts too that you know. I was again. I've been working on funding for migrants, and, they were, and then there's all these folks who are like, you know, have, have crime rates gone up? And one of the yeah. uh, one of the researchers was saying, look, in every single culture, everywhere around the world, regardless of the laws, the religions, crime exists, right? And it has from the beginning of time. I remember when I was in Ireland in Dublin in a museum, and they had found this man who had been strangled in a bog. My husband and I always refer to it like centuries ago, right? And when I went to my, you know, this, you know, in the museums, when you go, the way people were. We, we have, for whatever reason, found reasons to kill each other, be out of jealousy, out of hatred, out of for resources. Um, and so there will always be people who want power over somebody else. But and I know that there are so many incredible thinkers, philosophers, leaders who have said this before, and we have to keep remembering it. They only win when the people who want to do the good work give up. And so we can't give. I know it's frustrating and we have to pace ourselves. And that's why bringing people to uh, sometimes do other topics and we try to have fun. But uh, we just we can't give up. And and, uh, and I'm not a nihilist. I'm not like my son who's like, well, let's see how it ends. I I love people and I, I don't like to see people hurt. I mean, I have my limits. <laughs> it still doesn't mean I want them to hurt. <laughs> anyway, what are your thoughts, Roosevelt? Well, my thoughts are these, and that's uh, very simply put. Uh, you just mentioned the fact that uh, you can't give up. Well, there's another side of uh, another percentage of this country that are not going to give up either. Let's not forget. Right. Yep. Things have changed. Th- things have changed. There's going to be a percentage, uh, a certain amount of people, that are never going to forget that Trump's election was stolen. That's on, that's, or that's believe they're never going to they're never going to let go of the belief, right? Not the, so, not, yeah. Right. So, 
So there's our problem. Yeah. Yeah. And you can try all you want to convince these people you're wasting your time, you're wasting your energy. Right. Point I'm trying to make is if this would have happened in the opposite, I'll give you a perfect example. Yesterday, one of the biggest news, if not to me, was more bigger than anything else, was the fact that the guy was arrested, Alex Smirnoff, mm-hmm. and that they cooked up all, this whole story about Hunter Biden and trying to link him to his dad. I went by the board as far as the media. That should be on the top, and I'll tell you why. Because that was all cooked up yep. by, by that guy, and with the aid of Fox News, the Republicans specifically, if you want to call them Republicans, the Trumpist, the Trump followers in Congress. So yep. there you go. That's my point. Mm-hmm. That, and that guy is a man. I'm talking about as Hunter Biden, the president is a man. Because here's the thing. They knew they were innocent. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter to the people in Congress. They're going to continue to do this. They're going to continue continue to make attempts to impeach the president. And as far as Hunter Biden, do you hear anybody saying, we apologize, the guy was no. was making it up? No. You're not going to hear that. And until until... The other side admits they're not going to move forward because there is a fact. And, but if it was happening on the Democratic side, we would be pushing what happened to Al Franklin. I'm going to bring a perfect example. We would be pushing whoever is at fault to get him out of Democratic uh, yeah. uh, Party or to punish him. Yeah. That's not happening on the other side. So we're not, we don't have common goals in this country of, of, of paying their dues like this guy. That he today three hundred and fifty four million or whatever, you're not going to convince them that that wasn't cooked up by the Democrats. All these people that follow Trump, they're going to say it's all cooked up. It's a biased uh, judge. It's a biased court. It's a biased uh, uh, what you call it? The Democrats. They're all at fault. Remember, Trump said it in stone when COVID started. What did he say? He specifically said Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and the Democrats. There's no such thing as a, as a it's an epidemic. Yeah. Remember that? Oh, yeah. That's how this whole thing started. Yep. So right. we either move in reality or we move in, uh, yeah. what do they call it? Alternative uh, alternative reality. Yeah, parallel. I so, think I, right now we're in a parallel reality, not even parallel, parallel, parallel. reality. And uh, I try not to spend too much. I mean, like, I, you know, I'll entertain a conversation, but I don't, certainly don't want to give over my, my this platform for somebody to spread lies and to continue to poison people's brains. And that's what has happened with people who watch Fox News, who spent decades listening to Rush Limbaugh. And the antidote was, you know, within reach uh, years ago. And I don't know that we can uh, un- undo that. So the damage has been done. And we'll- what's, good, what, mm-hmm. what's good about the, the, the three, $354 million or whatever it was, mm-hmm. what's good about it is that Trump is, is going to keep on repeating this from now until election time. Not whole. There's a section we could peel off the diehards and say, hey, this guy, I'm getting tired of this guy. Excuse me. I'm getting tired of this guy. And what is he going to run on? Yeah, that's my question to you. What is he going to run on? And here's the thing: this has a, a, a ripple effect on the on the Republican Congress again. Quote Republican Congress because they're going to be affected in their own states, their own representatives. Because there's going to be people, that hopefully, that the Democratic takes advantage of this opportunity because of the fact that all this was cooked up against Hunter Biden. 
They should have kept this at least for a week as far as the Hunter Biden, because that's big. Imagine the millions of dollars that were spent and the time that was spent uh, in Congress to cook up all this stuff since 2016 or whenever the, the year was that they started saying Hunter Biden, Biden and Verista and all that stuff. Yep. So that's my point. It, I, these people in Congress are going to have the basic ones now. What's going to happen to the speaker? It's going to be the same demise that yep. uh, MacArthur, MacArthur. Exactly. Oh, yeah, I think so, too. I have got to run. I'm super late for the break, and I have a guest thank that's you. waiting. Thank, thank you, thank you thank Roosevelt. Give me your time and have a nice weekend. You, too. Thank you, Roosevelt. Let's uh, take a break here when we come back. By the way, it is First Timer Friday, and I, uh, we know what we'll do. That. We'll do that throughout the rest of the show. So, But 773-763-9278 is a number to call. If you've never called my show, it doesn't matter if you called any other show or ever called WCPT for any reason. I uh, would love to give you a gift card from one of our wonderful sponsors. Coming up in just a few moments, we're going to check in with Jan, Jan Feldman of Lawyers for the Creative arts and uh, look forward to that conversation more in a moment on WCPT driving it home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820 We are so thrilled to welcome in studio Jan Feldman of Lawyers for Creative Arts. They provide free legal services to various arts, uh, areas of the arts, visual, music, theatrical, literary, digital, all the things. Hey, Jan, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much for coming in. Well, thank you for having me. Could you, cool. could you, it's funny because you asked where, where you should look and I probably should have said come closer to your microphone. Oh, so let's. Right. Uh, <laughs> okay, you tell me if I'm doing This it is right. radio, yes. Uh, right. We have, the uh, the cameras are fun and we have a, a live stream. So, and then you can always share this with uh, family and friends later too if they're not listening. They're waiting breathlessly. Are they? Good to know. Uh, before we started our segment, uh, you told me that you're originally from St. Louis. What brought you to Chicago, my friend? Uh, well, for law school. For, oh, where'd you go to law school? At Northwestern. Okay, oh, fancy. You've got a University of Chicago background, don't you? Uh, no, I actually went to Northwestern. I went to the uh, University of Illinois. My son goes to U that's Chicago. What I was, yeah. Yes, uh, but North, I was. I spent uh, I two two quarters. I don't know if I. Sp- yeah, I think I was in my third quarter when I dropped out for stand up comedy. Oh, really? Yes. How cool. And so you went to law school, but you did both. You went to law school, which my mom wanted me to do, and I probably should have. No. But uh, you blended law and creative arts. Tell us a little bit about your organization. So, Lawyers for the Creative Arts, <clears throat> we've only been around for 50, now on into our 52nd year. Ooh. And so we are, I mean, the easy way to describe us is we're an art service organization. So a legal service organization that's entirely devoted to the arts. So you're an artist, you are an artist. I am. And you have a, a contract that you want signed or you wanted somebody to help you with it. You come to us. We, we're a tiny organization. We were, we're, I'm one of two lawyers, and we have four people in the office. And so all of our work is done by volunteers. These are lawyers at some of the top firms in Chicago. And we create a case list, and you would be on our case list if you come to us with, let's say, a contract issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of the bread and butter of what we do, and we would learn about it, and we'd put you on the case list, and then the uh, folks at these big firms call in and say, well, I'll, I'll take your case, and, and we'd, we'd match you up, and then you go to these big firms, and you're being represented by $1,500 an hour lawyers. I am so happy to meet you. How did I not know about you? <laughs> I've been doing stand-up for 30 years. Uh, I, I About 13 years ago, I was doing a television appearance, and we got a contract. And the thing about being a stand-up comic, and I've talked to the folks at SAG-AFTRA, and I said, you know, we write our own material, we perform our own material, and and we we're performers. So we, like, we don't, but we don't have the protections that directors have, that, that writers have, and we have only the performance protection. And they wanted me to sign a contract. Fortunately, my manager at the time paid for my lawyer because uh, we were, were very good friends, and he was trying to build my career, and sadly passed 
passed away not long afterwards. But they wanted, like, they have these things in there that say that we can use your voice, your image, in perpetuity throughout the universe in right. any form. All media, all venues, etc. Yeah. Right. And if my material inspired someone from TBS to write, to create an t- entire storyline, that was also theirs to have. And I, there were only maybe two or three comics out of 35 that challenged the comic. Because performers are often just desperate to have the work, aren't we? That's absolutely true. I mean, there's there's this issue called pay equity in the arts. Um, and individual artists, actors are woefully underpaid. Um, and you have to get way up in the in the you know the hierarchy before you start to be paid well. It's a common problem. It's been around. I always say Mozart died a pauper, right? Oh. So it's, we've never paid even the greatest artists uh, what they should be paid. Um, but it's a major issue. You're absolutely right. And you know, lawyers can help. I mean, that's that's what we do. We try to level the playing field so that if you're negotiating with a big company, and that's not uncommon. We can at least help you to understand what you're getting into. Yes. Sometimes the the you know the challenge is that you don't have the negotiating uh, position that you need to change those little terms. It's very difficult to get them to change that. Um, but at least we can help you to understand where you are on it, so you're making an informed decision. What are your thoughts? Like there, and there were times when my manager would just be like, you know what, it's just not worth fighting at this point. Like I had uh, there was there was a comedy club. Did you ever hear of rooftop comedy? Not really. It was uh, like an online before all the like the sort of clips that you could put up there. They had that sort of format, and they they would be they would put cameras in comedy clubs around the country, and if you wanted to be videoed by them, you'd sign an agreement. And I did not sign it, and I got phone calls that they people saw me while they were standing in line at Walmart. So this was happening all over the country. They took a minute of my material, and my 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 manager was like, you know what, it's just not going to be worth fighting this. And it was just gone. What do you think about with artists that put their material out on social media now and just sort of putting it out there? It it has always frightened me. Right. Well, I mean, social media, look, you're dealing with copyright. And if you want to protect, if you want to protect your work... Anything you do, if it's if it's reduced to a medium of a fan, tangible expression, I think is the language out of the statute. Um, you own copy, copyright in that, and so you have to think about whether it's worth spending the time and the money to protect it. To th- you don't have to register it; it's automatically yours. Um, but if you're putting something out on social media, it is still yours. And technically, if somebody copies it, hits the paste button, that's a violation. Yes, and this. But trying to enforce it is is a you know it's a, it is complicated. It's truly complicated. And um, everybody you know the defense to all those kinds of claims. Uh, oh hey, you use my copyrighted materials. Is there's nothing new about what you did, and therefore you know the defense on that is is. Strong. I mean, there's every. There's nothing new under the sun. Is a common example, a common defense uh, to a copyright. as far as premises for material. Well, and yeah, like that? and it, right, and um, and then the issue is what kind of money is is there in it? If let's say you can prove liability, somebody took it and copied it, but right. um, the copyright statute is a strict liability statute, and it does have automatic damages. But again. Um, being, a, being a plaintiff in a copyright case is not the best place to be, just because it's everybody thinks they've got a case, and and uh, 
it's it's not that easy to enforce your rights. It, it is it is such a horse that I don't know how many times it's been around the it's been out the barn around the world because I'll see uh, com like I have a very uh, good friend named Chad Daniels, a comedian out of Minneapolis, and he's brilliant. Not famous. I mean, a lot of us are just never going to be famous. And then there's comics like Matt Reif who do crowd work and and then get sell out arenas. And it is what it is. It's the nature of the business. You work with us. You know you know how it goes. But they like I was watching. I was scrolling and I heard this. I heard his voice but it was somebody acting it out without even crediting who was speaking and it just made me nuts because we use social media there are clubs that won't book us if we don't have a hundred thousand followers right so here's somebody who could benefit from at least saying here's what you're laughing at i know can you and, and they won't give you credit i mean no it's, no i you guys, if you're going to copy and paste someone's audio, credit the artist, right. the me- the music, the writing, all of it. And by the way, that doesn't satisfy copyright. I mean, just because they give you the credit doesn't mean they haven't violated your copyright. Right. But, but at least it makes you feel better. I mean, that's... Yeah, and people will then go, oh, I need to follow this comedian. That's the whole point right. for us totally. is self-promotion. So well, tell me some of the issues that arise with other... Cause I, I just know the comedy industry very well. <clears throat> well, first of all, we represent individual artists, but we also represent... And forget the but we also represent arts organizations, so theaters, galleries, museums, music venues, um, you know, what you have, whatever it happens to be. Um, and so we really cover, we cover the waterfront of all kinds of arts. It's not limited to, um, obviously not comedy, but it's not limited to, um, you know, live presentations. It's literature, dance, music, um, film. We do it all. And so any legal issue that comes up, and they are legion, you can imagine, um, we will help you with. Um, so you have a legal problem with uh, a contract in any of those areas. It's just one example. We do a lot of contract work. And, and those, the lawyers in these firms come to us because they know how to write and, and talk about a contract and help you negotiate. And it's, it, it, as I said before, it's, an, it's a matter of trying to level the playing field because usually or very often – you're negotiating with some with an organization that's you know been using this contract for years, and if, right. if you don't sign it, they're going to go to somebody else. So we can try to help you with that. Um, but anyway, that that's sort of the bread and butter of what we do is individuals and organizations dealing with the sort of basic contracts that folks in the arts encounter. I will also say though that we don't limit ourselves to arts and entertainment law. So if you're an artist and you're selling your wares, whether it's a, a painting or whatever it happens to be. There are tax implications. We help you with the tax side. Um, and uh, <laughs> I'm sitting up. I'm sitting up straight. I'm like, tell me yeah. more about the tax side. Yeah, yes. well, you know, I mean, but, you know, there's sales tax issues. And so we will do a program on sales uh-huh. tax issues. So you're you, and, you know, recently there were some cases that came down in terms of selling your products into other states. Right. And now those other states are, want their sales tax collected. So there was a recent uh, Supreme Court case that made that more likely these days. So we help with that. Uh, but you're, if you are an arts organization and you've got landlord-tenant issues, um, uh, if you're, uh, many of our organizations are nonprofits, so we do a lot of work in the nonprofit sphere, helping with bylaws, and uh, we, I do a program five times a year uh, workshop on on a nonprofit and 501c3 startup, um, and people have been coming to that even in the middle of. COVID, when you think sure. nobody is starting a new business. Oh, sure. We had 50 people coming to that every time for five times a year. So um, we do a lot of work. We don't, and, and I, I will also say that we don't just help you in a sort of a single episode that you, you need some legal help. 
we put on a huge range of programs, educational programs, clinics, workshops, things like that. I'm looking at your seminars right now. Go ahead. <laughs> it's, it's enormous, isn't it? I mean, we, it's we, wonderful. We put on, I think, 80 different programs last year. Yeah, the next one coming up is uh, on February 22nd. Where's the Mayfair Arts Center? I, the Mayfair is on the northwest side. If it's a neighborhood place, I'm, fat, I'm not sure. I, I've never, I've never heard of the Mayfair Arts. What's, our, what's the topic? I'm not looking. It at is it. on uh, Law Smarts 101. Right. And uh, it's going to be the, uh, Thursday, February 22nd. From th- we, everyone, go to law-arts.org, and you can find out about all the wonderful work they do at Lawyers for the Creative Arts. We're talking to Jan Feldman, and we're going to continue our conversation when we come back on WCPT 820, Heartland Signer. Oh, we already have a, a question for you, so we'll take that when we come back. Okay. Hey, everybody, hang in there. 773-763-9278. Hey there, it's your guy, Warren Price, from European and U.S. Collision Repair, a division of Technicraft Body Shops. We specialize in automobile and truck repair as well as normal automobile maintenance. With our highly skilled technicians and environmentally friendly materials, we strive for quality. Call 773-248-1200. That's 773-248-1200 or europeanus.com. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. We are thrilled to welcome in studio our friend... Jan Feldman, who's an attorney with Lawyers for the Creative Arts. They provide free legal services in the areas of the arts, visual, music, theatrical, literary, digital media, arts education. And that's it's not limited to just that. And Jan, we are going to take a call from a listener. Sound good? What a great list that was. <laughs> it really is a good list. <clears throat> hey, Harrison. As Harrison is calling uh, from Pilsen. What's on your mind, Harrison? Um, okay, well, just like basically as a brief introduction, I, I'm a singer-songwriter, and I... I own, I perform my own material, um, and if I'm doing a cover, I, I it's only public domain. I I will not. I just out of respect for people with copyright because they're making zero already. I won't do copyrighted material. I know people in cover bands. I'm just confused about that whole thing. All they play are covers, and it's obviously modern material. So like. Is the bar paying royalties? Are they, what? You know, they're making money. It's not like I'm some, you know, person that loves record companies, but the artists are getting ripped, and I just don't, I don't want my stuff played without getting paid for it. So that's basically what, that's my beef I about t- people that well, I, I love to hear uh, folks that have a strong feeling about copyright because that is the backbone of of the arts. I mean, it's everything you do every, when you create a song, uh, when you film yourself performing a song. That's a copyright um, that automatically has copyright. So I, I'm okay. glad to hear you say that. Um, you know, often the venues, the typical situation in, in live performances is that, the, is that the venue will have licenses for a vast array of, of, of music that gets performed there. And they do it through they do it through BMI or I think the other one is ASCAP or CSAC, one of the two. And um, mm-hmm. and so they, the the venue has the license. If if otherwise they they would have to check with the performers and make sure they've got all the copyright that they need. So the the, um, uh, the companies that uh, that handle those uh, copyright uh, royalties um, always have a, an ability to contract with the venue. Um, so if you're if you're if, you know if you're performing at a 
you know, just pick a pick a normal um, bar music venue or a, or a hotel or whatever it is, they will always have a, a license with BMI and ASCAP um, for yeah. folks to perform music that's, that is otherwise on their license. And that way, the the composer gets a royalty based on what was actually performed there. So it's a good deal. Um, so wait, so you know, if I you know say I'm at some bar and I ask them if they have a license for whatever, then I I feel okay to perform the song. Is that that's right? Of, yeah, I would like, ask. I, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we've done. We, we're just you know we're a legal organization, but we have we do programs from time to time, and that issue comes up, and we will check to make sure that the venue has. Um, has has a license for those stuff that's going to get performed. And I think venues, I think there should be a landing spot, so like a list somewhere of the venues in a city that have have paid for that that right. Well, you can go to the to for example the BMI website, and you can determine that from there. No, there you go. Go to the BMI website, and you can find out what uh, locations have uh, paid for the right to play other other artists' material. Now, if it's in public domain, um, nobody's getting a royalty from it anymore, of course. And how do you find out what's in the public domain? Oh, boy, is that a complicated question. (laughs) Thanks, Harrison. Call us. (laughs) Call you. Take care. Yeah, I I wonder about that because, you know, I don't play music on the show. Uh, I used to work at another station, and they they didn't – either they didn't care or they paid for it. They didn't give me grief about it. I used to open every show with, uh, they told me I could, um, Super Chicks, uh, One Girl Revolution was my theme song for the show. But I always felt like I was getting away with something, uh, but the station gave it its blessing. So should I assume that they were, that's well, on them, I not me. You know, I, I would <laughs> never tell you to assume something. But, right? Uh, but it comes up in, in, um, in ways that you might not expect. We had a, um, this was during the early part of COVID when people were shifting their, their uh, benefits you know, uh, from live to streaming. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was an organization that uh, it's a phenomenal organization. And they were I think their benefit was being streamed over a period of days. And there was music that was being played and it was being streamed. So you've got a combination of not just the audio, but the visual. And there's something called a synchronization license. Anytime you match of an audio portion with a with a video portion, it came up in the film industry, but now it applies in in digital as well. You have to get a synchronization license, and what I just told you about BMI and licensing through BMI is way way more complicated with sync licenses, even though they are both required by the law, and it's not centralized in the way that that um, the audio portion is. And um, this this organization was broadcasting and streaming, and there was there was um, a video and music playing at the same time. And all of a sudden, the screen came. Uh, the, uh, there was some sort of algorithm. It, let's say it was YouTube that was triggered, and it, and a screen came on that said this this program violates community standards. <laughs> oh, because it was uh, copywritten it, well, material. It, well, somewhere it triggered it triggered that issue. Wow! And the automatic thing was this. This is an organization that is. Is not contrary to any community standards, right? But that's but just the general label that they put on something like that. Well, right. It, it's a way to shut it down. And so we got a call at ten o'clock. I got a call at ten o'clock at night. And what do you do? Well, we had to. We contacted. I think it was Spotify that actually um, was involved in this. Um, but I don't quote me on that. I won't. But the, uh, one of our lawyers has a connection with this company that would be the the rights holder, and they called up and they cleared it. So that that sort of put it back on the air for, for that night, and I think they had a similar problem the next. Anyway, these can get very complicated is my only point. Man, this is fascinating. We are talking to Jan Feldman from uh, Lawyers for the Creative Arts. Go to law-art.com. 
arts.org to find out about maybe their seminars or if you're in search of uh, legal help in the artistic community, uh, please check them out. We'll continue our conversation when we come back on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. Uh, you can give us a call if you'd like, 773-763-9278. And if you've never called, we've got some great gift cards to give away. So give us a call. And just hi. It doesn't even have to be on topic. We just want to meet you. More in a moment. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. We are so thrilled that you're joining us on this drive home. We are driving it home when I'm your host, Patty Vasquez. Hi to our friends listening in, in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Uh, we are thrilled that KTNF 950 AM is part of our little driving at home family. And joining me in studio is Jan Feldman, who is one of the lawyers at a wonderful organization called Law, the Lawyers for the Creative Arts. You can go to law-arts.org. And before we went to the break and before we continue our conversation, I had said that uh, I wanted some first timers to give us a call and say, Hi, because we have some great gift cards to give away. And joining us on the line from Wisconsin, Jack, I think it's your first time calling. Am I right? You are correct, Patty. Thank you for taking my call. Absolutely. Congratulations. You've won a gift card. And and even though you live in Wisconsin, we have some great uh, sponsors that can uh, send something off to your your whereabouts. Uh, How long have you been listening to WCPT? Oh, forever. Forever. You you had me a little worried on on Wednesday. and And the older I get, the more I realize... How sensitive I get to these things too. Oh, sure. but the shooting on Wednesday hit me hard too, and I just, I, I just hope you take a moment to yourself. Oh, and, and uh, thank you, and, Jack. Uh, I worry, I worry about you, and and that because you take everything so seriously, and that, and I know you need to, and I know you present that for everybody else, and we really all appreciate that. But uh, I just want you to know we're all rooting for you. And we thank you for what you do. So. Oh, Jack, if I could send you all these cards, I would. But we are definitely going to send you something. <laughs> Jack, that's so kind of you. What a wonderful call well, on a Friday. Saying, actually, Patty, I'm not calling to get a card. So you can pass you, it on to somebody else. You stop. But I you just hang on. To say all that. Oh, Jack, you have a wonderful weekend. I hope this isn't the last time you call. But you hang on and get well, some information. We want your, your address. I want to send you something. Come on. I want to give this away. Oh. There's some good stuff. I won't, and I won't, it won't be the cheese from Wisconsin. That's just, that seems like it. That's no, redundant. no, 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 no. That's all right. Jack, hand, hand Jack. it off and pass it forward to somebody else, Jack, Thank Jack, you very much, Jack, and, and I love your show. Oh, but I love you, too. Thank you, Jack. appreciate that. That was very Bye-bye. sweet. Bye-bye. Uh, how nice was that? How lovely. It was how very lovely. lovely. I was telling you uh, during the break that I, I, I've, one of the, I used to work at another radio station, and I want to write a book someday. There's another radio Another radio there station. Is another radio station. There, okay. there might be. I've always. I want to write a book that, that's called uh, um, "The Show Was Great, Everything Around It Was BS," and without uh, initializing that, um, in part in part because of sustained, persistent, and aggressive sexual harassment that had a toxic effect. So not every. I mean, then everybody sees one person or several people being marginalized and targeted. It it, it lends itself to just horrible relationships in general. And I don't know if you have you seen that. You mentioned that you have this do this kind of work as well in the in the arts. Well, we do, and it, it's a huge. It's it's not just one kind of conduct. It's a huge variety of just making people feel uncomfortable, mm-hmm. um, as well as the more overt sexual harassment. You know, physical contact, un, un, unconsented, just to use a legal term. Right. Um, but uh, some time ago, I was telling you that we we did a program. This is probably 2015 or 2016. Um, 
uh, called Sexual Harassment Prevention in Performing Arts in Chicago. And it was it came out of a, of a terrible situation with a local theater mm-hmm. um, that was shut down when when the um, I think it was a Chicago reader did a sort of an expose on this situation there. And it was a case of, a you know, very um, aggressive a director who was, you know, well known and respected for his artistic work. But he he was, you know, d- over the top in dealing with uh, especially young women who were performing with him. Mm. Um, so this came out, and it was um, we decided to do, we actually got a request from the legal Chicago theaters uh, to do a program on sexual harassment, legal issues, and on sexual harassment. So we'd put it on. I believe it was 2016. Literally a month later is when the world heard of Harvey Weinstein. I mm-hmm. mean, so we had we kind of got the jump on this on this topic. We did a, another another version of it a few years later, just to see how things had progressed at the Goodman Theater. We uh, ran a program there as well, but it is. It's a, a tremendous problem. I mean, in, especially in th- you think of it in, in theaters where people are acting close together. The um, the dressing rooms are may- maybe not separated. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a culture of, of openness, which is actually not bad, except that it, it allows for this sort of conduct. Um, there was a, a group uh, that put out something called the Chicago Theater Standards, which was an, an attempt to try to advise organizations on, on patterns and rules that you can Im- implement without you know, destroying creativity. And it's been very successful, actually. That is good to know. Because I, I remember when that story came out and then it, it, it had a sort of a domino effect because Chicago really didn't rise to the level of attention. I mean, the Me Too movement uh, didn't necessarily skip us. I remember these stories in the uh, in the arts and in the theaters. And then I think one of the most high profile stories was Elena Hampton, who had worked for Michael Madigan and uh, in the organization on the South Side was a political strategist. And, and, you know, that was a big story. But that, that was kind of, I feel like, you know, Chicago didn't quite get the, and, and nationally, I'm sure it was more New York and Los Angeles, these high profile stories. And uh, do you, th- so you're saying, though, that this has been sustained and, and been successful to, as far as you know? Well, I don't know that there's a study on it. Right. Um, but we haven't, but I, we the haven't language actually, is there. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it, it was, it was an amazing piece that the, the Chicago Theater Stands, in fact, I think recently they revised it. Um, but it's, it was very concrete, practical advice on measures that you can take that don't tamp down your, the creativity of the arts and yet still tend to prevent this kind of situation from happening. And I don't think it's a situation where there's a Harvey – I mean, just because there's nobody like Harvey Weinsteiner that we know of in sure. Chicago doesn't mean that there are more subtle things that are happening every day. And there that, are. And yeah. Absolutely. And, and no doubt about it because uh, – and, and we see stories. Again, you know, I, I know that uh, it can be hard. I mean, a lot of folks are afraid to go to their HR. Let's, because theaters, though, and artists, we don't have an HR. Yep. And so that makes it harder. And in general, people are afraid to go to HR because HR isn't necessarily there for you. Right. And and it, it, we did one Sorry, of the programs folks. we did was all right. So you're you are an HR person for a, a theater or a, some performing arts, and it happens in orchestras too. We sure. uh, we did a program with the League of Chicago League of American Orchestras. So we're talking classical music, but it's it's rife with this kind of thing. Um, and so one of the questions was, well, how do, how if you're the HR person, how do you evaluate a claim? Because it's always I, I did this or you didn't that and right. it's he said she said or whatever. Um, that's a that's a whole other issue. Is how do you how do you police this? Um, right. You preve- we were we were pushing prevention, but part of it is um, a theater would call us and say, "Hey, I've had this claim. How, what do I do about it?" 
For individuals, and that's what I did. Um, I, I wish I had done it sooner. When I came to the end of my employment as a re, as a result of retaliation, uh, I, I I did work with lawyers. It had a very unique situation, but I I, can't, I I was I sat down for a week and just wrote everything that had ever happened. I had you know dates. I remembered the shows that I had done, what had happened on those evenings. I, I wish that I had just you know, and it's hard in the moment, and and sometimes putting something on paper for some people it's cathartic, for other people it's it's extenuation of the pain too. So it's, but I would recommend folks document as much as you can, you know, to just that way you have it outside of you too. Don't you think? Yeah. Uh, right. I mean, in some of these cases, um, they produce claims of libel or, or defamation as well. So someone comes in and says, Hey, this person was harassing me or did this terrible thing. Um, and the person who's accused of that says, I didn't do that. And this is definitely so. It's it's a very complicated yeah. area. Very I know. I, I would like to write a book, but that's what the publishers have told me. They don't have uh, the legal team. <laughs> they don't the know. Publishers don't have legal teams. I don't know about that. Well, anyway. uh, well yeah, we, maybe it's something else we talk about some other time. Sounds right? good. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, so go to law-arts.org. Uh, when you prepared to uh, come to the show today, was there something in particular you wanted to make sure you let people know about that they were informed on? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, well. First of all, we are there to help individuals in the arts. So we're talking about, you know, all kinds of any any sort of business or commercial issue or legal issue that you encounter. Um, at least come to us about it. There are very few areas that we don't handle. We don't do criminal, and and uh, what's the other one? Is uh, divorce. We don't do divorce. But basically everything else. If you if you're, we had one uh, issue arise where a person had her. Um, uh, she was on a visa from some other country, and the visa was expired. And now she, had, so we can we can get you a, an immigration lawyer. Oh, there! You, wow, all right. We're a small organization, but we do very little work. It's, you know, I was a commercial litigator for thirty three years. I, you know, represented clients all the time. We don't represent clients anymore. We people come to us. We deal with their cases, and we send them to lawyers who are qualified in these areas. Fantastic. So it's, a, it's, it's that kind of thing. But you should just come to us and ask the question. If it's something we can handle, we'll do our best for it. Um, and if it isn't, um, you know, let us know. But I also, uh, if you want to know what I'm pushing, I, it's, yes. it's, the, it's our programs. Because um, artists don't just have these issues that come up once, and then they're done with them. Um, it's the copyright things are de- uh, copyright issues are dealing with all the time, and so we try to educate those in the arts on the copyright aspects of the work that applies to them, mm-hmm. so that then they have, they're smart about it. They're they're, they're savvy business people. Uh, which you know, uh, uh, <sighs> an education in the arts doesn't necessarily <laughs> terrible business falling person. backwards. Um, they uh, you know some of these art schools teach that now. Yeah, more, thank more so God. Than they used to. Yeah. I'm not ambitious enough. Uh, just, that's part of what I think is part of the problem. Well, nobody gonna... wants to deal with this stuff. You just no. ra- you'd rather do your art, and be, you know, you don't, nobody wants to deal with contracts and you know going through all and, that. And, wait, just the contracts and invoices and marketing and all this stuff. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot. And so, don't be like me, is what I'm saying. Dwayne Kennedy, who's a, a an Emmy award winning uh, writer and producer, uh, we were talking about how we are we are, my my career fulfills me. I I'm just not satisfied. I guess is the best way to put it. I'm not. I'm at the point where I'm like, I'm making the money I want, or I even have the protections that I need. So, I'm, this was. I feel like Jerry lined this up for me to wake up a little bit. And the artists need to be aware of their rights. 
Am I, are we going to see an application from you this week? <laughs> probably. I'm very happy to I, talk to well, you. Well, no, I think uh, no, getting I'm, involved I'm, in your I'm, seminars would probably be my best, uh, my first uh, step. Uh, I love how passionate you are about this. And I do need to tell you, and I'm sure someone's told you before, you have a fabulous radio voice, just so you really? know. <laughs> yes. That's never been said before. Oh, my God. I I, I don't know, but I can, uh, you're going to have to come back just so I can hear, hear you talking on the air again. So wow, thank you. how cool to see that. Yeah, I'm just saying. Cause I want to I know more about you is what I'm saying, too, uh, and about the programs you have coming up. Up. So let's let's do this like maybe every quarter if you're up I'm for it. Delighted to do that. That'd be lovely. Again, go to law-arts.org. Thank you, Jan Feldman, for joining us. And we look forward to seeing you again next time. Terrific. Thanks. Have, thank you. Have a great weekend. Let's take a break here. When we come back, we're going to talk to a candidate for 1st Congressional District of Wisconsin. Lorenz Santos will join us in a moment because we have a fundraiser coming up next week in Kenosha. More in a moment on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal and KTNF 950 AM Minneapolis-St. Paul. Hi folks, I'm Kirk Bankstead from the Monaco Brewing Company and I sell Choice Hard Seltzer, an all-natural grapefruit and lime-flavored booze that you can enjoy for only 100 calories a can. A percentage of the proceeds of each can sold goes to reproductive rights groups in the Chicagoland area. Enjoy a light, refreshing hard seltzer and support reproductive freedom at the same time. Now available at Provisions Uptown in Chicago and R&J Wine and Spirits in Glenview as well as Eastside Cafe, Coffee and Wine Bar in East Dundee where Kate is serving up smiles and drink responsibly. Possibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Next Thursday on February 22nd, we are going to be performing me, Dwayne Kennedy, and Dina, Dina Nina Martinez will all be performing at the Kenosha Comedy Club. It's going to, we'll also be broadcasting from there. So if you want to come on up, you guys, it's a great venue. It's going to be a wonderful fundraiser, great comedy show, and we'll be broadcasting live. And we'd love to see you there. You can take, I believe Metra goes like within a, a couple blocks of the, uh, the spot. And it's at the, I think it's the Wyndham Hotel. Hold on, let me look it up. It's the Kenosha, Kenosha Comedy Club. And what a cute town, by the way. If you if you need a getaway for uh, just you know a night or a weekend, Kenosha is super cute. And joining us on the line is a candidate for first congressional district of Wisconsin, Lorenzo Santos. Hey, sir, how are you doing today? Great, how are you doing, Patty? I'm doing really well. Excited to hang out with you next week and do a wonderful comedy show. Tell us where we are in this race for the first congressional district of Wisconsin. Yes, right now we are getting out. We're making sure that we're talking to people a little bit further up north. We're moving into Milwaukee uh, as time goes on. So we're just making sure that we continue to go around the district, make our rounds, and, and, and continue to meet folks. I was just in Whitewater uh, last night talking to their college Democrats, and we're going to keep doing that, making sure that uh, everyone is aware of the campaign, aware of me as a candidate, and aware of what the stakes are going forward. And I know that these congressional districts can be pretty big. So can you give us like sort of the north, south, east, west uh, borders, uh, some of the towns that folks uh, who are listening in Wisconsin? Because I know we just talked to Jack from Wisconsin. Uh, what are, yeah. yeah, go ahead. What's some of the territory? So we've got the southern part of Milwaukee and with Milwaukee, that's Oak Creek and Franklin and all the way up to St. Francis. And then, of course, we're seeing uh, Kenosha, Walworth and Rock Counties uh, are a part of the the uh, first district. So it's a pretty expansive district uh, here in the southeast uh, region of Wisconsin. And what are you hearing from folks as you talk at these events and connect with them? Because so much of messaging for a candidate is often based on the conversations they have one-on-one. So what are you hearing from people? 
You know, what, I, what I'm hearing is that people want their representatives, they want government to stop playing games. And they want a lot of this animosity, this vitriol, this venom that we keep hearing. They don't want that. You know, they don't want to hear all this negativity. They want there to be adults in government. Imagine that, right? They want people to actually get things done. And, and a lot of this grandstanding that we're seeing with, you know, weird impeachments that don't mean anything, uh, you know, just doing these weird photo ops in front of the border instead of actually taking a deal that would have, you know, amounted to everything that the GOP was asking for. We're seeing a lot of political theater and not enough legislating on behalf of the American people. They are noticing. And that's also why we start to see a lot of these seats that they thought were kind of in their pocket are going in the way of Democrats. We just picked up a seat in New York. And that's going to continue to happen across the country, including here in Wisconsin. That is such a great point, because I I was surprised to to see some of the interviews that various outlets were sharing with Republican voters who said that they were fed up, that they had had it, that there had been a deal on the table for the border. And and I'm glad to see that because I I, I get the sense that so many, you know, if you if you just go through social media or you hear, you know, a rally for Trump and his supporters, you feel like these people are all in and don't care. And it is good to know that people do care. And even, you know, for Democrats, you know, we do have to hold each other accountable. And, but in this moment, because there are a lot of folks who are like, well, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, Trump's, I mean, uh, Biden's age or his policies. I don't know if I, I'm like, whatever it is that you have a hiccup with, whatever the holdup is, and, I, and I'm not saying, I'm not diminishing it or negating it. I'm saying right. the opposite is so, it, it is, it's, it's just game over for democracy and our civil liberties. Yeah, exactly right. The stakes cannot be higher. Right now, demonstratively, you you see that there's only one party that can actually govern, that actually is serious about legislating on behalf of what the American people actually care about. And my opponent, Brian Stile, and his colleagues are, you know, they're, they're satisfied with just doing all this theater and, you know, playing games. But the American people are awake, they're watching it, and they will pay the price if they continue down this road. Now, with that, so the rep now, uh, the I read a story where the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee was targeting his seat. And that was, I, th- I don't know if that was before you had announced your candidacy. Have you had conversations with them? Is that, is, are they waiting for the primary to uh, come in and, and do the heavy lifting of getting that across the finish line? I have. I, I, I can tell you this. Uh, they are involved, you know, across the map. I have had conversations. And at the end of the day, a lot of it is going to be about, you know, the vitality of, of campaigns and yep. which campaigns they see as, you know, signs of life. So really, my main goal, and we've, we've said this many times, is going to be, you know, making sure that we build a competitive campaign that can compete and win. Make sure that we build out our fundraising machine, because at the congressional level, that is very important. So we're, we're building coalitions. We're talking to the right folks. We are picking up steam. And we're just going to keep going down the road that we're going down to make sure that we, we put the best fight forward, uh, you know, in, in August for the primary, because I do have a primary, but also in November against Brian Stile. Ultimately, we need to take this seat back and put someone in it who can actually, you know, legislate and govern on behalf of the American people. 
Yeah, because Brian Style is another he's another extremist. Uh, he's the kind of guy who yeah. wants to you know cut social security, social security and Medicare. He wants to protect wealthy tax cheats. Uh, he's doing all the stuff that we are, are fighting back against, folks. And so that's why supporting races outside of our our area is also a way that we can make sure and and energize folks uh, to get involved in this election. So with that, how can people get involved and support what you're doing? Yeah. Really, one of the biggest things, and we, we keep talking about this, is we, we first and foremost, we will need donations. We, we are a grassroots campaign. So anything you can donate, it, you know, no amount is too small. It's going to help power our campaign. It's going to help move our message forward. It's going to make sure that we can get out there and, and ensure that people in more rural areas are able to get literature and things like that. We're able to have more events where people can come out and learn about our methods. So every single bit's going to help. And then we've got to, we've got to knock doors because there's nothing that is going to beat being able to meet people face to face and talk to them about the message of our campaign and what we will bring to the first district. So those are the, the big things that I need help with. I need donations as much as, you know, people can, can, can allow. And we also need, uh, you know, volunteers to help bring our message forward. And a great place to learn more about Lorenzo Santos's campaign is next Thursday, Stand Up for Change, Thursday, February yeah. 22nd. Yep, we're going to be at the Wyndham Garden. Uh, it's so funny because, you know, we've talked, but now you see me perform, which is just weird. And we got to meet and hang out. And and uh, the club owner uh, bent your ear for a while. <laughs> He's Oh no, he's great. I, I know he's he, and he's passionate about politics. Every time I talk to him on his radio show, he wants to talk to me about politics. So you know, and, and by the way, uh, Dina Nina Martinez, who is an alder woman in uh, Madison, the first trans uh, alder person to serve in, in their city council of Madison, and comedian Dwayne Kennedy, who is an Emmy award winning writer and producer from United Shades of America. Uh, and this is going to be such a fun show. Tell us a, a little bit about um, you know what what you plan for. Uh, the, you know, we're gonna we'll have you speak a little bit and then we'll do comedy or should we do it the other way around i'm not sure what i think i, I never know with these events you know in, in, in that kind of situation i'm gonna speak for a little bit but people came to see jokes too so i don't want right. to get in the way of the entertainment and all that good stuff so it's, it's gonna be a good time yep i agree and we're gonna be broadcasting we'll start our broadcast at five o'clock uh so I, it says here the doors open at seven so i hope that uh frank will let us in there i don't know maybe we'll be in the lobby <laughs> good acoustics out there in the lobby is all i need is an outlet that's all i need <laughs> but the uh the, it says here the doors open at seven and the show is at nine and again this is going to be at the wyndham hotel it's at 5125 sixth avenue in kenosha and i think i was telling the the audience i think the metro stops really close to there doesn't it uh i think I, it, yeah actually there, there's a, a train stop out there so they should be able to yeah. Uh, get close. Yeah. yeah. Folks, get a hotel room and hang out. I mean, if you, you know, if you don't have to work on Friday, maybe take Friday. I'm not, I'm not encouraging any uh, workplace truancy, but I'm saying if you got the time. Kenosha is adorable. Isn't it a cute town, Lorenzo? It's amazing. We're going to be right on the water. You got to come out and enjoy it. Excellent. And I know that uh, folks are fired up and you've got volunteers already lining up. Uh, we talked a little bit about some of the things that are important to them. And of course, one of the top uh, priorities is, is protecting women's autonomy, which I know you're passionate about. What, what, uh, what, where are we with Wisconsin in regard? Because we just heard that uh, Trump supports a federal ban at 16 weeks, which people think, you know, well, at least it's negotiating and it's not. It is uh, catastrophic for people. What, what are your thoughts on, 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 obviously, I know you're against a federal ban, but what do you want to tell folks on your stance? You know, we, we can't have a federal ban. That's not that's not acceptable by any stretch. This is not up for debate. 
And this is why we need to ensure that we are growing the political power to actually stop these folks that want uh, a national ban. You got Trump, who is proud of repealing, of, of you know leading the charge to repeal Roe versus Wade. You got Brian Stile, who called it a victory. This guy likes to walk around and pretend he's he's moderate, but if you look at his record, he's actually. MAGA as well. Yeah. So we, we've got to really, you know, look at how this guy votes. He likes to pretend that he's moderate and quiet and unassuming, but he votes just as dangerously as all of his uh, MAGA, you know, counterparts. So we have to make sure that a woman's right to choose just is protected. End of story. That has to be the case at the federal level because if, you know, you get Donald Trump, and you connect that with a majority, a Republican majority, they will, they will without a doubt pursue a national ban, and we, we've got to stop that. And the good news is we've seen that in individual states. They've already seen the tea leaves of what that looks like. It's not good for them. And we also need to make sure, though, that we are building the legislatures that can, uh, you know, ensure that that's not going to happen. And we, we we're lucky that we have, you know, Democratic governors that are also um, fighting back against this. But we absolutely have to do everything we can build the majorities. And in Wisconsin, we have, you know, now we might have three competitive seats with uh, Gallagher yeah. leaving. Uh, office. So, you know, it's going to come down to the wire in Wisconsin. We are absolutely, um, you know, uh, a battleground state, and we have a lot of very good potential to help change the entire house blue. It starts here. Outstanding. I'm fired up. Thank you, Lorenzo. It's Lorenzo Santos for the yeah, absolutely the first congressional district of Wisconsin. We will be at the Wyndham Hotel at the uh, Kenosha Comedy Club next Thursday. Dwayne Kennedy, Dina Nina Martinez joins me for a fun show. Doors open. I think it opens earlier than seven because I'll be broadcasting at five. So either way, we'll get some chairs. You can sit there and stare at me while I do a radio show. <laughs> Lorenzo, I'm absolutely. so excited. Have a great weekend and I'll see you next Thursday. Yes, thank Bye. you. Thank you. Bye, my friend. All right. Let's uh, take a break here. When we come back, uh, we're going to ch- we're going to change gears a little bit because, you know, one of my passions is mental health. And we're going to touch base with some of our friends from the uh, American. Hold on. Let me make sure I have all the information right. But we're going to talk about mental health when we come back. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, I am uh, dedicated to making sure that we are as equipped as we possibly can be with the language uh, of mental health and taking care of each other. So when we come back, we're going to talk to of uh, our friends from AFSP Illinois and uh, the uh, we're going to talk a little bit about suicide prevention resources and uh, I think it's an important conversation that I would love for you to join. More in a moment on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. Hi folks, I'm Kirk Bankstead from the Monaco Brewing Company and I sell Choice Hard Seltzer, an all-natural grapefruit and lime-flavored booze that you can enjoy for only 100 calories a can. A percentage of the proceeds of each can sold goes to reproductive rights groups in the Chicagoland area. Enjoy a light, refreshing hard seltzer and support reproductive freedom at the same time. Now available at Provisions Uptown in Chicago and R&J Wine and Spirits in Glenview as well as Eastside Cafe, Coffee and Wine Bar in East Dundee where Kate is serving up smiles and drink responsibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. 
Thank you so much for joining us. I know it's a Friday and uh, you know, maybe you've got something to do this weekend. But I also want to talk about some things that we should be thinking about uh, in regards to uh, mental health and suicide prevention. Joining me in studio, we have Angela Cummings, who is the executive director for AFSP Illinois. That's the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And on the line with us, we have Keon Lewis, who is the chair of the board of directors for AFSP in North Carolina. And uh, both of you, well, first, I haven't met you, Keon, so I want to say hi. Since, since you're not in studio with us, I feel like I'm leaving you out. How are you doing, Keon? I'm doing well, Patty. Thank you for the invite. How are you? I'm very well. And uh, hello, Angela. Good to see you again. Yes. Nice to be here. Thanks. Excellent. And so uh, let me let me start this way. Angela, do you want to introduce Keon and, and the work that you guys are doing in a new program that you want to tell, share with us? Sure. I mean, I'm going to let Keon do most of the talking about the program, but we are so excited to be launching this new program that we call Let's Save Lives. And L-E-T-S is actually an acronym for Listening, Empathy, Trust, Support. And, and it's an introduction to suicide prevention for black and African-American communities. And Keon was a part of the advisory committee that uh, developed this program. Um, it's a wonderful program, and he's on today to be able to talk specifically about that. Outstanding. Keon, yes, please share more with us about this program. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yes, uh, thank you, Angela. And just a slight correction, I didn't have the privilege of serving on the advisory committee, but I was one of the, the first presenters to get trained um, in the presentation and to be able to, to present it to the community. So to, to be a part of that first group to learn about the, the Let's Save Lives presentation, to learn about the education material, um, I had the privilege of debuting it a month before we technically released it uh, during Black History Month. That's great, and I, and I think that you know, we'll tell we'll tell us first a little bit about uh, the importance of focusing on on a, a community that needs this kind of uh, access to resources and information. Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially just just speaking from experience as a black man, you know, growing up um, in a black home and then growing up in the South and and having to 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 deal with the, the dynamics, um, just just being a black man in general. This wasn't something that was often talked, you know, spoke really spoken about. And then even, you know, from looking at it from the dynamics of our faith, our culture, and tradition, we never really spoke about mental health in a comfortable sense. And so, when you look at all of those dynamics, from everything from the historical context to family dynamics, cultural, and just really the stigma that comes with that, this is an enormous opportunity to help debunk those myths and dispel those myths about having conversations around mental health and suicide prevention. And so when you have programs like these that are intentional and, and really getting advice and, and getting inclusion from an advisory committee that is comprised of black and African-Americans who have either had a personal experience with suicide or had a direct connection or indirect connection with it, it's just great to be able to capture those perspectives to put together a program that really speaks to the black community, but to also make it comfortable to have a conversation around something that is very uncomfortable. And is there a, a lot of you know background in researching and understanding the stressors that are unique to the African-American population? Yeah, absolutely. So, so when we look at it, when you look at the, the program itself, it looks at it from a broad scope. So it's, it talks about it from the historical context, everything from, from what the black and African-American communities have experienced from the political side, from systemic barriers, from bias, racism, slavery, on up to current day things that we may see in, in media, police brutality. It's, it's a lot of different dynamics and it's very complex. And so the idea is that by capturing these lived experiences, talking about 
the historical context and the scope of, of what we've seen with with black mental health and even now, it, it really puts it in perspective. But the idea is that as as we endure all of these different things and as we've learned, you know, from from a historical standpoint, we want to make sure that any and every individual who comes and takes part in these presentations, whether they do it in person or virtually, know that they see themselves in it, but know that they, they have a support system and that it's okay to not be okay and, and that we can have great dialogue about this, but to also pinpoint how we can identify the resources that best supports us within our communities. And it, this is really an important time because I'm looking at some of the information and between 2018 and 2021, there was uh, an increase uh, and between, for individuals between 15 and 29 years old, an increase of 39% in the African-American community, which is, yeah. is horrifying. And, 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 and you're absolutely correct. It, it is horrifying. And the thing that really intrigues the audiences when I've had the opportunity and myself, and, you know, along with other trainers to present this, is that data. We, we don't see this data often. We don't have the, the dashboards that really highlights this. And so now that we have something and we have this tool that really puts this out front for, for the communities to see, it really demonstrates that this is more than just a white problem. This is more than just a Native American problem. This is more than just a Hispanic problem. It is collectively all of our ethnicities and races problem. And so now we're able to present these statistics to our black communities and really demonstrate that it is hitting us hard and it is hitting us at a very high and disproportionate rate. And so rather than being reactive, we got to make sure that we take the steps to be proactive to it. Mm-hmm. And, and Angela, talk to us a little bit about when, you know, when there are programs like this and how it can really uh, impact people's lives. Uh, tell us a bit about this program coming up. Well, how can people get involved and participate? Yeah, that's a great question. So we are lucky in Illinois to have trained three presenters in this new program, and they are ready to go. And as Keon was mentioning, this program can be delivered virtually via Zoom, or it can be delivered in person. And you don't have to get a big, big group together. I mean, Zoom is so easy. If you've got five people in your, in your church, if you've got a community center, if you've got a, you know, a service organization that would like to see this presentation, all you have to do is reach out to our Illinois chapter of AFSP and we will connect you with one of these presenters, newly trained. They're ready to present. They are ready to go. They're looking for opportunities. But, you know, one thing that's really important about this program and why, why it's so great, actually, is that, you know, I'm not going to go out and present this to someone as a white woman stepping into a black space to tell you how you should be thinking about and preventing suicide in your own community. And so that's what's so great about this uh this new program to us is that it is developed by black and African-American people to be delivered to black and African-American people. And so it really is culturally relevant. And so we want to make sure we're getting into those spaces that we have not been able to get into before because we don't look like the people that we're talking to. And I mean, it, it, representation matters. It really, really does. I, I agree. And, and it's, it goes beyond, uh, I, I mean, I think when people hear representation, because we're living in a time when that seems to be, uh, a, a, you know, a curse word to be oh what, what is that i mean the thing is and what i ask people to do is is uh opening your heart softening your heart sometimes too and you know there's a resistance and i know that these are hard conversations to have uh and so maybe, maybe someone's already like oh i don't want to think about it right now what do you say to those folks i mean how do we sort of uh you know encourage people to be open-minded and have these conversations because sometimes people would rather just ignore talking about it right Keon? Yeah, yeah, it's it's um 
Excellent point, and, and I appreciate you know what Angela shared in the, in the fact that you know this is something that is for us by us, and even as a black man, you know when I walk into specific audiences, I still can't share certain things of for what a woman experiences and what black women are dealing with. And so the idea is that we, we want to create a safe space, right? And so that's where you build the comfort in being able to have the conversation around mental health and suicide prevention is establishing the foundation that this is a safe space. And whether we do it through a, a Let's Save Lives presentation or a Talk Save Lives, or especially at our, you know, out of the darkness community walks, we really try to demonstrate to the community that this is an opportunity for it to be a very uplifting program and to be an uplifting atmosphere. And so we don't want to come in and just hit them with, you know, just a whole bunch of data and hard statistics and the horror of it. But we really want to show them that this is about bringing hope and saving lives. And so the thing that has been very effective for me and, and especially and, I, and I'm pretty certain it's been the same way for the tremendous presenters that they have in Illinois is that we try to make sure that we establish a safe space before we even get into the material. And by doing that, that allows the audience to be transparent, to to be able to share their lived experiences and to walk out knowing that they're empowered to have the ability to save someone's life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Outstanding. I, uh, I, I, if you don't mind, I want to take a phone call. We are talking to Angela Cummings, Executive Director of American for the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention, the Illinois chapter. And on the line with us is Keon Lewis, who is uh, with the North Carolina chapter. Uh, he is the uh, chair of the board of directors for AFSP in North Carolina. If I may, I have a listener who'd like to take a call. If you'll uh, take sure. indulge us. Sure, sure. It's Eduardo uh, calling from Tampa. Hi, Eduardo. You're on with me, Angela, and Keon. What's on your mind? Yeah, good evening. Uh, I like this topic. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. Uh, I heard this the other day. 40 million people are lonely, and obviously that leads to depression. Uh, My suggestion in high school, particularly high school, is that the last period be like an hour of open discussion. Uh, What is your suggestion to educators as far as combating loneliness in young people? Wow, that's a really good question. And you're absolutely right that the they call it an epidemic of loneliness and there's been a lot of, you know, press about how that's possibly leading to depression and feelings of isolation and all of those things are risk factors for suicidal behavior. We know that. Um, in terms of what educators can do to combat loneliness, I mean, I think your ideas are great. Um, Kian may be able to weigh in a little bit on it, but, you know, again, just having a moment in each class where you share, well, how was your weekend? Uh, what's your favorite song today? I mean, maybe just something where people can connect yeah. and I, on something that's just not related to the topic of, that they're studying at school, I guess, maybe. Kian, what are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, And to piggyback on that, one of the things that we're trying to do, especially with schools, uh, we recently passed the Senate bill in our state, um, SB 476, where we're trying to make sure that we train our administrators and train our teachers to recognize these signs and to recognize these symptoms and to be able to be the conduits to put them to the resources that they need to better support their students and even their own faculty. So, So one of the things that we try to make sure to do is make sure that we're educating um, all of these great educators who are in contact with these, with these students throughout the day to recognize when they're dealing with this, but to also have an idea of what are the proper resources to better support them. And then another thing that um, has also you know, been very intricate in better supporting our kids and better supporting our youth is the different types of organizations that have established collaborations with our local schools, whether they're faith-based, uh, local fraternities, sororities, or other great mentoring initiatives 
that directly targets them and supports them, uh, those have been very effective measures to to deal with these types of barriers that we're we're experiencing within our school systems. Mm-hmm. Thank you for calling, Eduardo. Do you have any other thoughts that you wanted to share? Thank you very much. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. And, and to that uh, conversation about uh, legislation and what are the warning signs and being educated, are there is there legislation that you're aware of in the country? Because I, I saw a documentary a few years ago. Our good friend Todd Belcour runs a, a, a international film festival, and I I moderate them. And one of them was a, a, a education like curriculum, mm-hmm. even as young as five years old, for basically mental health, mm-hmm. like learning how to manage emotions, mm-hmm. conflict resolution, and things like that. Is there is there a pathway for for that, for this kind of uh, legis- for the legislation in Illinois, or is there any that ex- I know that there's mental health days that, that can count sure, as a sick day sure. and things like that. But yeah. how about curriculum? Yeah, there is some pretty robust legislation in Illinois around you know, educator educating educators. Um, so I feel like we're doing really well in that sense in Illinois. Um, one thing that the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention has worked with is a is a tool called Gizmo, and it's a program that is for really young children. And it's just what you said. It's a it's a really nice little booklet about Gizmo. He's a cute little puppy and he talks about his feelings and he talks about kind of naming his feelings and who would he go to to talk about his feelings and who are the safe and trusted adults. And so that's kind of a program that we've utilized at AFSP before. And is there anything, Kian, that you're familiar with? Because it was almost like, a, the, like in, even in kindergarten, like 10, 10 minutes of like, how are we feeling? And, you know, what has happened? Was there something that made you feel sad? Do you want to talk like that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, for, I think that in general, all of us could have used some conflict resolution education when we were younger. <laughs> uh, Kian, are you familiar with any, any uh, curriculum in, in North Carolina? Kian? Oh, Hanson, no, Kian. One of the things that... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, can't. yeah, yeah, no, not a problem. Um, nothing new that I'm aware of from a curriculum standpoint that is uh, going into our school systems. I know uh, one of the things that we are working on is uh, different curriculums to support our university systems mm. and institutions. Yeah. And so as we continue to work on that dynamic, because, you know, as you know from the statistics and as Angela can attest to, um, that, that is that, that age group that has been impacted most and seeing the, the enormous spikes in, in suicides and um, suicidality and, and all of the different uh, symptoms that they're experiencing. But um, as of lately, no new curriculum that I'm aware of, but just that there are initiatives, there are conversations taking place on what we can do to better support our college students and then, in essence, see what that translates into better support in our high school and middle school age students. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And, and, you know, the, you, the you know going off to college, especially if it's your first time really spending time away, I mean, you know, for me, it was it wasn't like a culture. I mean, I loved it. Uh, but I mean, there were things that if I could do it over again, I, I the rate of binge drinking on college camp. I mean, it's just expected culture. And I mean, these kids are 17, 18, 19 years old and, and never even been around it before. And, and it's just uh, the culture on ca- campuses is, is something that I, I even when 30 years ago, I thought, well, this can't be right. 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 <laughs> yeah. No, that college transition is a really key time. And um, I'm always going to talk about AFSP programs here, so let me tell you about another one. Please. <laughs> so we do have a program uh, for that time, uh, transitional time as well, called It's Real College Students, and it's another really nice program that anybody could request from us here at AFSP Illinois at any time, and it can be also done virtually or in person, but yeah, it's a it's a film that sh- 
shows four vignettes of real stories. These are real college students who made the transition from high school to college and ran into some troubles, and they worked their, their way through it. So mm-hmm. it's a very hopeful film, and it comes with like a discussion guide so students who view the program can really talk about, you know, have you experienced something like this? Were you able to f- find help on your campus? Were, you know, so, so on and so forth. Yeah, oh, that's a wild. We were talking to, to Keon Lewis, uh, who is the chair of board of directors for AFSP North Carolina, and Angela Cummings, the executive director here for AFSP in Illinois. And we've been talking about various topics in regards to mental health and suicide prevention. And they are launching the suicide prevention presentation for black communities here in Chicago. Uh, again, uh, if you are interested in requesting some of the presentations, uh, a presentation for, mm-hmm. it could be a group of five, as you mentioned at your church group, or if you know, uh, you know, a community organization, there's a lot of neighborhood organizations, maybe you're part of a Facebook group and you want to put it out there because there's no charge to these groups. There is never a charge for an AFSP program. So give us a call. Give, give them a call. Again, what's the uh, information Absolutely. for people to reach? What's the information for folks to reach out? So the best way to request a program in Illinois is just to email Illinois at AFSP.org. That's a hard thing to hear on the radio, but it's the initials of American Foundation Suicide Prevention. So AFSP.org. I'm so glad you're telling us about this. I want to take a break, if you don't mind, both of you, uh, when we come back, because it is a weekend, I want to know a little bit about what you do to uh, sort of, you know, uh, self-care. We've talked a lot about that. And uh, and I want to know whether it's movies, gardening, going for a run. Uh, It is a lot of couch time for me. I'm just saying. I watch a lot of TV. (laughs) Break here when we come back. I want to find out more in a moment on W's. Maybe you have a recommendation for a TV show or a movie or music or a book. Any of those things. More in a moment on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal and KTNF in Minneapolis, St. Paul. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. We uh, are winding down the show, uh, taking it into the home stretch. Joining us in studio is Angela Cummings, who is the director for AFSP here in Illinois. Uh, she's the executive director. And joining us on the phone is our friend Keon Lewis out of North Carolina. He is a chair. Hold on. I have all the information. I'm scrolling. He's a chair of the board of directors for AFSP in North Carolina. And I was uh, asking before we went to the break, what, uh, what, well, first of all, Keon, what are your plans for the weekend? Do you have anything fun coming up? Yeah, actually I do. Um, so, so tomorrow morning I have the opportunity of taking part in the hot chocolate run. Ah, <laughs> that is fun. All right. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so that's part of my, you know, my, 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 my self help and, 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 and therapy and, and relaxation along with, you know, with, with meditation and exercise. And, nice. Um, is, that, is, that I, is that I enjoyed running it. So tomorrow morning, first thing, uh, downtown Charlotte, I get a chance to take part in the hot chocolate 10K run. So I'm excited about that. I have a dream of starting a walk called the Cake Walk. And you just walk to different cakes. I love it. Right? I'll, I mean, this oh, is... Love it. Love, it, love it already. <laughs> yep. I'll be there. It's my dream. I'm going to do that someday. Uh, do you have a, a something you would want, you want to recommend to folks that maybe we don't know about? A, a, you know, maybe music or TV, uh, movies, anything you want to share? Uh-oh. Yeah, yeah. Um, from a music standpoint, you know, we've been seeing it talked about a lot in, in the media, but the Andre 3000 album, where he, he is playing his, his instrument, I'm, I'm telling you, people should definitely check it out. Um, should, should definitely listen to it. It, it is good meditation, and, and I promise you, you get some good rest from it as well. I love but, it. Um, but from a but from a book standpoint, um, an incredible book that I've had the privilege of finishing up as a part of my 
um, doctoral studies as well as my, my public health cohort studies is the My Quest for Health Equity. And this is the story of Dr. David Satcher, who was uh, once our U.S. Surgeon General as well as the director of the CDC. And it has taught me a lot about the importance of leadership, um, what it is like to start out as a follower, becoming a leader, but also helping others to develop their own skill sets. And it's just been a phenomenal book that has helped me grow and develop as a leader, not only within AFSP, but also as a fraternity member for Omega Psi Phi and, and serving the community in the scope of public health. Outstanding. Great to hear that. And Angela, what, uh, what, what, what's your plans for the weekend? So I will be attending the Joffrey Ballet on nice. Sunday. See, these are people. Take care nice. of themselves. I love it. I love, I love the Joffrey Ballet. And I go by myself because my husband a couple years ago bought me one ticket as, subscri- as a subscriber. Because, <laughs> and it's one, and you, would think, you would think, how sad, right? She's going by herself, but I have to tell you, as a busy mom and a busy yes. executive director, oh, I'm with you. I, yep. go, I walk to the train by myself. Yep, I, I ride it. the train and nobody talks to me. I sit in my seat and nobody <laughs> talks to me. And I just zone out and I just totally geek out on the ballet and I'm so, so happy. And I'm Aww. all by myself and it's quiet. I'm so excited for yeah. you. I meant to find out what your movie or book or mine's. Uh, the movie is American Fiction. Do you have one thing you want to recommend? Wow, I really can't. I don't have anything I would really recommend. All right. I will just say this, though, about self-care. Since we're talking about self-care, anything that you want to do that is in the category of self-care is good. People are like, am I doing self-care right? Should I be doing yoga? I hate yoga. I'm too antsy. Should I be running? I can't run. It makes me sick or whatever. Right. But yeah, self-care care is of you. just whatever yeah. makes yep. you feel good. Well, yeah. thank you again to our friends from yeah. AFSP. Go to AFSP.org. we got to sure. go because I'm late. Bye, everybody. Mike Crute's up next. Bye, Paul. Thank you.